so much better with less. I believe that less is the new sexy. And I feel that every single day, anytime I can just eliminate anything. Welcome to An Unknown Adventure. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and I finally decided to jump off the 24-7 work hamster wheel to go after my dreams. I will be downsizing from my 750-square-foot mansion to a 60-square-foot van in the summer of 2021, and I started this podcast to share that process with you. I'm hoping that it will add value to your life. And the podcast, Kind of Like Life, is ever-evolving. The topics I will be covering are achieving your dreams, unconventional travel, and minimalism. In each episode, I'll either talk to you about my experiences or I'll interview someone else about one, two, or all three of these topics. So hang on to the roller coaster of life for your unknown adventure. So I'm so excited to be here with Carlene. If you can introduce yourself now. Sure. My name is Carlene Montes de Oca, and I'm an author, a speaker, and an animal advocate. And we used to work together, which is how I know you, kind of, in the same office. That is true. We used to have a wonderful practice side by side, acupuncture practice. And I always loved working with you because one, you made me laugh. And two, you were always very quiet and tried to be very quiet. And that was always very helpful for me. And three, I felt that you and I got along so well together and we were able to help each other through sometimes some cases. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. And yes, I really liked how quiet you were as well because our other office mate who we also love to death was just not that quiet. <laughs> and the walls were thin. Yeah, the walls, the walls were, were thin. thin. Yeah, they were. It was a little noisy sometimes, but I think that one thing with acupuncturists is we can always get our clients pretty relaxed and calm and oftentimes we get to get them to sleep. So and so everything worked out in the end. Yeah. And, and music helps. Music? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so when we were, I, I don't know if we worked together like three years in the same office, like three-ish. Gosh, I don't remember how long it was. <laughs> I don't remember how long. But when you quit to not be an acupuncturist anymore, I was so envious. And Were you? Oh, yeah. So envious. Oh, God. So I want to get into why you quit and what you did and where you're going and where you've gone and, and all that. But I want you, I really want you to talk about the unconventional travel when you were younger, because that is just fascinating to me. Well, when I was younger, and I was actually, it started when I was in college that I took a year abroad and I lived in Madrid in Spain. And I traveled a lot through Europe, but I traveled alone. And what I discovered was when you travel alone, it allows you to meet so many more people, to have so many more adventures. It was one of the best decisions I made. And then from then on, I decided every trip I ever took, I was going to travel alone. But the way that I decided where I was going 
was, and I know this dates me a little bit, but I would go to the library <laughs> and I'd spin a globe and I'd put my finger down on it and wherever it landed, that's where I went. So I ended up going to Egypt and Israel and Chile and Argentina and all sorts of places, South America, so many different places. And it was exciting. And traveling alone forces you to talk to other people because otherwise you're not going to talk to anyone. So I would meet people not only from the countries that I was in, even though sometimes I didn't know how to speak the language, but somehow I was able to communicate with them. And I'd also meet other travelers on the way. And so many of them I'm still friends with after countless years that this has been. (laughs) So this was my unconventional way to travel when I was younger. And it really helped build my confidence. It really helped me see the world in a way that I otherwise wouldn't have been. And I'm really grateful. And I know it's, it can be a little tricky for single women to be out there traveling on their own. But fortunately for me, it worked out really well. And I've never heard of anyone doing that. Like, spinning a globe and putting your hand that's where did you come up with that I don't know because I just thought to myself well there's so many places I want to go so much to choose from where should I go and fortunately the first time I did it it was Egypt and then I thought oh well I'll add Israel of course because they're right next to each other if I'm going that far away I might as well do both and I was glad I did because it was such an exotic country. I had never, I had only seen pictures of it and video of it. But when I was living in it and exploring it, it was like a dream. It was something that I thought could only be in my imagination. It was, it was really priceless. That's so cool. I've never been. Oh, well, never? Yeah. Never no. to either to Egypt or Israel? Nope. I I highly recommend it one day. Yeah, one day. I'll get there one day. Yeah. Yes. And, but you do speak Spanish, right? I do speak Spanish. So, and it's helpful because I, you know, I have, you know, a different complexion than a lot of people. So whenever I would travel, let's say to Egypt or Israel even, or South America, anywhere, I kind of blend it in. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had maybe blonde hair and blue eyes that might not have worked out as well. And in fact, I did have a couple of friends who had a few more challenges because of that. Mm-hmm. But I always seemed to blend in. So people would start speaking to me in their language and I didn't know what they were talking about, but it was always very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And you also went, when we were working in the same office, you went to Portugal? I did. I did. That that wasn't traveling alone, though. I, I was married and I had been married for a while and we never had taken a honeymoon. And we decided Portugal. And I had already been to Portugal three times when I was younger. Loved it. When I went the fourth time, I thought it had gotten even better, if I could imagine that. And so I had in the back of my mind, and my husband and I have spoken about it, but the idea of going to live in Portugal for a year, that's on the back burner. So maybe after we are no longer on this lockdown with COVID and whatnot, and we can travel again. That's definitely on the radar. Yeah. Okay. That's cool because that's where I'm planning to move. We're planning on staying with you. Okay, good. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> You're always welcome. I might Thank still, you. I might still be in my van, so it might be. A... <laughs> oh, are you taking your van to Portugal? I don't know yet. I'm thinking of traveling through Europe for, you know, a while. It's only a couple grand to have the van shipped there. The truth is, for me, I want to take my dog. 
Yeah. I really do, but I don't want it to be traumatizing for her in terms of the flight. So I am looking into all of that because as long as she's with us, we want her to be with us everywhere that we can go. And that's an idea I have too. I, I am a blogger and that's something I would love to blog about is traveling with your dog to all these really cool places. Yeah, definitely. And this is a new dog? Well, Grace, I got her right before the pandemic started, right before it started. And she is one of the most amazing. I've had dogs my whole life and I loved every single one of them. But she's very special in the sense that she was, I rescued her from a hoarding situation. I live in Santa Fe, New Mexico, as you know. And this hoarding situation was horrible. It really, really was grim. And Grace had, I don't know how long she had been there. But she had an area in her lower rump area that had been attacked by a mountain lion. Ugh. So she still kind of has that scarring there. Mm. And she was so fearful. But the moment, I've never bonded that fast with a dog. We bonded so quickly. I took her three days later. And we've been pretty inseparable. And she, she's amazing. I mean, from the get-go, I, I've had a lot of dogs and they've been very hard oftentimes to train. They come from difficult situations. Mm-hmm. But I rarely walk her with the leash she stays right next to me we've had her now for a good what nine months and she stays next to me we go off in the snow and hike and she's amazing she sees coyotes or bobcats out here she starts to run and then I say to Grace no come and she comes right back and she's it's an amazing thing she I feel sometimes she really knows what I'm saying to her on these very subtle levels and so she's incredible, and we're so happy to have her and, and so happy to give her a, a life that she deserves. And what kind of dog is she? We call her a New Mexico blend <laughs> because she looks sort of like a cattle dog. Yeah. And then sometimes you look at her from the side, and she looks a bit like a boxer. And then other times oh. when you look at her from above, she looks like a Jack Russell Terrier, even though she weighs 55 pounds. Wow. So she's all sorts of things, I think. So I don't understand what what a hoarding situation is. Yes. There are some people who, it is a mental illness. And with the people, when it comes, when it gets to that degree, it's basically she may have started off with good intentions and and rescued some dogs, but then it got way out of hand. So there were nearly 100 dogs out there. And they were kept in very abysmal situ- uh, circumstances. They uh, they weren't fed. They weren't clean. Some were overfed. Some died. I don't even want to get into the grisliness of it, but it was pretty bad. And it was written up in the newspapers here in New Mexico. So it was someone who I suspect may have started off with good intentions, but she was mentally ill. And then it became something horrible, really a, a nightmare for these animals. And did they all get rescued? Well, basically, when I heard about this, my friend said, let's just go out there with some of our friends and help the rescuers because the woman was thrown in jail. And during that time that she was thrown in jail, part of her deal was she had to give up those animals to rescuers. So we went out there while she was in jail and took them all and put them in different either adoptions or fosters or other rescues. I believe there may still be about 20 out there mm. that are still in ado- in fosters or whatnot. Because when COVID hit, that was a little mm. trickier. But 
I really would hope if anybody is listening from the Santa Fe or, or New Mexico area that they might consider one of these, the town that they're called the Road Dogs because that's the town where they were rescued from. And they are, they, Grace is a marvelous example of what love and attention and feeding them well and loving them as much as you can will do to help restore an animal's spirits and give them a second chance at life. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, and is that Roe, R-O-E or R-O-W? R-O-W-E. Okay, R-O-W-E. Yeah. And how did you choose Grace out of all the dogs? How I choose every dog. They choose me. me. Yeah. <laughs> that's, how my, that's how I get them too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A friend of mine for her birthday, which I thought was awesome. She said, let's go out there and try to socialize. We'll spend my whole birthday. We'll be there. And so we took some of our friends and we went out there and these dogs were so fearful. They didn't want to come up to any of us. And we tried and, you know, tried. We sat there with them. Grace was the only dog who came up to me and touched the back of my hand. And and I knew in that moment, and I also remember looking at a friend of mine, and the look on her face was, could you please, please take her? And combined with that, I knew that was her. And unfortunately, a year before, two of my dogs had passed away, or they passed away that year. Mm-hmm. And my husband had asked me, would you mind if we took just a little break? Because we've always had very difficult dogs. We've had dogs for 30 years. And would you mind if we took a break? And I said, okay, reluctantly. I said, okay. <laughs> I'm like, does he know you? <laughs> exactly. I said, I thought that later. Does he know who he married? But what I did was when January rolled around, I made a vision board. You know what that is. Oh, yeah. Yes. And one of the images I put on that vision board was a picture of a dog. And underneath, I wrote the name Grace. And as soon as I finished that vision board, I did it on my computer. I closed it and I looked at Ken and I said, Ken, I need to speak to you. And of course he looked at me like, oh my God, what is it? And I said, and that's what I said. I said, you know, he married, I need a dog. Five minutes later, he's like, fine, do you have one in mind? And I, and I thought of Grace, which wasn't, that wasn't her name. Her name was Betty. And I said, yeah, there's a dog out in, uh, from the rescue. And I think that she's 40 pounds and white. And of course, Grace was, at the time was 66 pounds. And I'm sorry, I told him she was tan and she was 66 pounds and white. And so I didn't remember what she looked like. I right. just knew she needed a home. And that was it. That's how she Aww. came to live with us. Aww. And you still have your kitty cats? No, my kitty cats have passed away too. What? Yes. And the, well, the thing is, if you get all your animals at once, sometimes, <laughs> you know, they're all about the same age. But I, and I've also kept from getting, from rescuing a cat only because I have in mind that if we do go to Portugal, it mm-hmm. would be harder than to have a dog and a cat. So yeah. that's the only reason I haven't adopted at this time. Yeah. God, because when I met you, you had like two cats and three dogs. <laughs> Yeah, I had four dogs and four dogs. actually, I think, two cats, which yeah. is why I wrote my first book. They inspired me to write it. That little six-pack of animals did that, yes. Yeah, okay, so now let's talk about your book and how that was your dream and, and how you transitioned also from from acupuncture to writing. Well, it's interesting. I've wanted to write my whole life, and I've had animals my whole life. It took me a long time to put two and two together that I might be able to write books that incorporated animals. So for, 
I don't know if you know this, but for 20 years, I worked in the motion picture industry. I was a film editor. Mm -hmm. And then when I burned out on that is when I went to school, I studied acupuncture, got my master's degree and went and was an acupuncturist for another 15, 14 years. And it was towards the end of that, that I was just feeling as much as I, I really, really enjoyed being an acupuncturist. I loved my clients. I enjoyed working with you, all of those great perks. But I always felt that there was something that I was, I never felt quite on purpose. Like, what is it I'm really supposed to do? And although I liked acupuncture, I liked the movie business, it wasn't, I love these things. This is what inspires me every day to get up. Right. And literally one day I woke up and it was, I'm not writing. I'm not doing what I'm meant to do. And I remember getting out of bed and looking at my husband and saying, Ken, if I don't do this now, I am never going to do it. And then I'm going to end at the end of my life saying, I didn't do what I was meant to do. And how am I going to feel about that? And that's the moment he says, well, what do we need to do to get you on track? So I got myself uh, some writing coaches, actually, people who really help not only inspire me, but they also taught me, here, these are the steps you need to take to where you are saying you want to get to. And by getting a coach, I was also, my confidence built up. They mm-hmm. they really boosted my confidence. And I remember th- thinking, gosh, what they're saying to me is, why not you? And I said to myself, yeah, why not me? And so I began to write. And that's where the writing began. And I had this idea for this book called Dog as My Doctor, Cat as My Nurse, about how animals can inspire us to be healthier, happier, and more extraordinary human beings. So I started to write that and I wrote and I wrote until I finally finished that book. And then, of course, I had, which was my problem for so many years, is self-doubt. Oh, I don't know that I'm good enough. I don't know. Like People might laugh at me. Gosh, I don't know. I don't know if this is any good. And But when I actually gave it to an editor and she really liked it, and then she went out and rescued a dog because she read the book, I thought, wow, maybe, maybe there's something to this. And when it was finished, it was published, it was amazing. What happened was I had more than like 100 media appearances, whether they're on television, on you know, press, magazines, whatever. They just, it was a, nearly a hundred. And then the book won all these awards and I, and it was published in Italy and all these things started to happen, which really filled me with confidence. And then I began to speak. Mm-hmm. Then I went on a book tour and I believe that that is really what helped me become a better public speaker. And at the end of all this, I even did a TEDx talk. So it was this amazing locomotive that took me for this incredible ride and at the end of it I realized well there is no end this is what I want to do I want to write I want to speak and I want to help animals and somehow in every book that I write that's what I am doing every book I I write I donate a certain percentage of my proceeds to an animal organization so I've done that for in defense of animals I've done that for PETA and I've done that now for the Santa Fe animal shelter with my latest book pause for the good stuff and (laughs) that's that's how uh, I hope I answered your question yeah how it all moved along yeah and until I was reading the pdf I didn't know that you did a TEDx talk that's so cool yeah, it was a that was one another one of those moments that made me go so far out of my comfort zone because what's interesting about that talk 
rather than other talks where you're giving them and you can see people's faces, you can see their eyes, you can see if they're nodding or you can see now they're shaking their head, they don't agree with you. Mm -hmm. The lights were blinding and all I could see was a black stage. The audience was completely in the dark. Mm -hmm. I couldn't tell. So I just started speaking into the darkness Mm -hmm. (laughs) with all these lights on me. And it was incredible. And I remember on the flight home, thinking as I was just looking out over the plane onto the clouds, I feel different. I feel like I did something that was so beyond what I thought I would do that somehow it's changed me. And I feel that that's really stayed with me. So each of these moments, each of these things I've done along my little journey, I think have really told me on some gut level here, you're on the right track. This is what you're supposed to be doing. So I continue to follow that voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's not easy to do. No, I didn't follow it for many, many, many years. And I think, you know, because I'm struggling a little bit with that, it's like, what is expected of us? What is the societal norm? What is What does my family want? What do my friends think I should do? As opposed to what do I want to do? I know, Kim, I really understand that feeling. I didn't even, at least you know that that's what you're experiencing. I didn't even know that those were the things that were holding me down. And I will share with you something that happened, which I don't know that you know about. Perhaps you do. I don't, I don't remember if I told you, but something that recently helped me, which is what you're describing and what it did was it, it was another severing of a tie because, yes, we're tied to our families. What do they expect? We're t- tied to the expectations of maybe a spouse or maybe your friends or how will they look at me? What will they think of me? Will they laugh at me? All these things. Well, last year I went through the ultimate severing of my identity. My, my whole identity. I discovered I did an ancestry DNA test and discovered I was adopted. <gasps> yes. And <laughs> no way. Yes, way. And you didn't know? No. <gasps> Would you like me to share with you a little bit? Wow. Yeah, that's really heavy. It was, it was the heaviest thing I've ever experienced. And I'll tell you why this relates to what we're talking about, because identity is something you're describing identity. What do people think of me? How, what is the mask I wear? What is besides who am I really? Well, I decided to, this was around the time my two dogs had passed away and I was feeling pretty sad, but I had actually always wanted to do an ancestry, a DNA test just to see, really, I was curious because my mother actually always felt that she had Jewish, Jewish lineage And the research that we did showed that she had. So I was curious about that. I was curious how much Portuguese I had, how much Spanish. And that's all I was curious about. I didn't expect to find I was related to anybody. I sent it in about a month later. I don't know. I got an alert saying, here's your results. And I remember looking at it thinking, where's my where's my 40% Jewish? Like all my other relatives, I was 2%. And the Portuguese and the Spanish were just normal, I thought. I don't know. I'm sure this is like, doesn't work. (laughs) That's what I thought. Right. And then what I didn't, what I saw also was this woman's name in big bold letters saying, this is potentially a very close relation to you. And I thought I have 63 first cousins. Who knows who this person is? And I doubt she's related to us. Well, about a week later, I received this email from this, not an email, but on Facebook, this person I had, who had friended me about a week before said, hey, you look a lot like my wife. 
And I thought, and he showed to me a picture and I looked at her and he kept saying, don't you think, don't you think? And I said, you know what? I think we buy glasses at the same store. And he said, <laughs> he said, well, ancestry DNA says different. And I said, who's your wife? And then he tells me it's this woman. And so she contacts me and says very respectfully, says, I just have never seen a, this close of connection to somebody on Ancestry. I've been doing it for seven years. Do you think you might know any of these people in my family? Because I'm pretty estranged. I don't know from any of them. I don't, I'm sure my mother's dead. I haven't seen her in 20 years, you know, this, that, and the other. And I looked at it and I thought, no. And I said, but, you know, who knows? I have 63 first cousins. I have countless aunts and uncles. Maybe somebody there had an affair, something happened. So I called up my sister and my brother, both older than me. And I said, hey, this woman, what do you think? And usually it's, there's a lot of levity in our phone calls. They were kind of stone quiet. And they said, well, no, we don't know anything. So I thought it was odd. And I asked them again about a week later, are you sure? Because what do you think? And they said, no, we don't know anything. And so I contacted this woman. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know anything. And she was very nice. And she's like, okay. About two weeks later, my sister calls me my, and says, would you, can I come to Santa Fe and see you? And I thought, this is weird. It's like really snowy. It's really cold. But she came out and she was here maybe in the house for five minutes. She pulled out two sheets of paper and she said, I have to tell you something that's happened in our family. And I'm sorry, I can't even tell you. She started crying and just started reading the pages. And she said, 57 years ago, we made a promise to my mother never to tell, but you are adopted. And that woman who reached out to you is your half-sister. Oh, my and, God. And basically, but the story got better in that <laughs> she said, my mother went to her friend's house one day and heard a lady crying outside. And when she asked her friend, who is this woman who's crying? The friend said, oh, that's my cousin. She's here from Chicago with her two kids. She's not married and the third one's on the way and she wants to have an abortion and I'm not going to help her. And my mother went home to, and talked to my dad. She came back and she said to this total stranger, we will take your child and raise her. And my parents already had three children. They were not wealthy by any means. And they not only... They took this woman, her two kids, to live with them for six months until I was born. Wow. They let her live there for two more months, and then they gave her money to go back to Chicago. And they took my siblings aside and said, you will never, ever tell your sister, her. she is your sister, never tell her. Because at the time, children out of wedlock was a stigma, and they said, people will try to hurt her. And they had already been through situations where they had seen how people act towards kids who don't have legitimate parents, let's say. And so the kids kept the secret till my sister came to tell me. Wow. And, uh, yeah. So it was intense. And the thing is, I looked at it with immense gratitude because, oh my God, I could have been angry. I could have been all these things. And believe me, I felt a lot of emotions, but my mother saved my life. My mother saved my life. I could have not even existed. And when I think back on my whole life, that's really weird to look at it in reverse. Yeah. You know, it's one thing I support completely women's rights to do what they want to do with their bodies. But it's weird when you're looking at it in reverse when you've already had a life. Yeah. Yeah. And is your mom still alive? My two parents died, so they weren't alive to talk about this. But wow. I'll tell you about a week later... This woman who contacted me ended up being my half-sister. 
And about a week later, she contacted me and she said, you're not going to believe this, but our uh, birth mother is still alive in Chicago and she's on hospice. So three days later, I hopped on a plane to Chicago. Oh my God. I met my half sister and I met my birth mother who was completely had dementia. So you could, she didn't know who anybody was. But when my half sister told me the story of her upbringing, I was beyond grateful at that point because I realized I, the life they had was so, so challenging. So, I mean, I, I don't, I, my mother was mentally ill, my birth mother. I believe she might've been bipolar and the way she treated her kids was really poor. And in addition to that, I think to myself, gosh, I don't even know if I would have survived. I literally don't know if I would have even been alive today or I would not have been the person I am now. Wow. So that was my little story. And if you, as you can imagine, my identity got right there, got cut from everything I knew, everything I loved. I was sort of floundering. I was a bit untethered. But I knew that I would have to go through this step by step by step and be very conscious of how I felt every day, which was usually crying for about three months. I cried. And, yeah. But by the end of it, I felt really renewed and I felt a sense of freedom. Somehow this allowed me to choose the family that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And that was the family I had. And now I have this half sister who's part of that. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, I just gave up totally caring what other pe- people felt. I felt completely like I am an entity onto my own and I can choose my life however I want it to be. That's an amazing story. Wow. What? So what happened to the other sister? Like she, you said there were two kids. There were two kids. My, my half brother had died a year before that. Hmm. And that was the reason that my half sister discovered that the mother was alive because his estate contacted her. And so he had passed away which is really disappointing on some level. I was thinking about it this morning because he sounded like a really cool guy, somebody who I think I would have really gotten along well with. But this is the way it all went, and that's my story. Wow, that's amazing. Is that in your memoir? That's the memoir. Okay, good. Yes, yeah. yes. That, that is the memoir, and also... My unconventional upbringing, which I'll leave for another time. And so do you look anything like your... Your family, like your adopted family? No. So It was kind of a joke that I didn't look like anyone. Because the first thing anybody would say to us would be, how come you don't look anything like your sister? You don't look like anybody in your family. And apparently when I started calling my cousins to let them know, hey, I have some big news to tell you. I'm adopted. All of them were, oh, I already knew that. I knew that. Oh, yeah, your dad told us. Oh, oh, you didn't know? And then my cousin reminded me. She oh. said, oh, my God. She said, I remember you saying to me, how come I don't look like anybody? And I said, oh, you look like, and she threw out some somebody, I don't know who. And then I went, oh, okay. But the thing is, when you're, it's one of those things when you're told something day after day after day after day, and you live it day after day after day, you stop questioning it because there are kids who don't look like other people in their family. I have no idea who my birth father is. Wow. But that's okay. Yeah. Because honestly, my parents are the ones who raised me. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They, they, they will always be that, and I'm happy to have that in my life, you know, to have them. I. I can't imagine that anybody would be better than that. Unless, of course, it's like 
Brad Pitt's family. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Wow, that is pretty heavy. I know it is. It is, but I'm glad to now be on this side of it. Gosh, I bet. Damn. Okay, well, switching gears, can we... (laughs) I would love to talk about your decision to move, your decision to leave Marin. Like, that's... It's big. It was. Again, it was... I have always felt that there is something guiding me on some level, because I don't know if you remember, but I did not want to move from Marin. Oh, yeah. I thought... Okay. Yeah. I loved Marin. I loved my life there. I thought it was great. Why do I have to move? And my husband had just retired. He was in the film business and had retired. And after about a year of retirement, he said, you know, Marin County is very expensive. And for us to afford our house and to afford our life, he said, you know, maybe you need to work more. And I was thinking, I don't want to do that. Uh Uh-uh. So what I did was I thought to myself, what is it that I really want? And I really wanted to write. So Ken said, well, the cost of living could be less expensive somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And we looked for about a year and a half. Yes. That I remember. Yes. Right? <laughs> and I was getting very tired of every single time I saw you saying, no, we're not going to live there. We didn't like it there. <laughs> or whatever reason but we it, had. But it was interesting. And it was so important for you to go check each place out. Absolutely. And I'm glad we did. Otherwise, we'd always wonder. Mm-hmm. But then after about a year and a half of doing that, one night I sat on my bed and I popped open my computer to look at where else could we possibly live in California. And all of a sudden the words Santa Fe popped into my head. And I remember looking at Ken and saying, Santa Fe? And he looked at me and said, I've never been there. Three weeks later, We fly to Santa Fe. I hadn't been there for 25 years. I remember 25 years ago thinking it was amazing. And when we were there, about 15 minutes into it, Ken says, I love it here. This is great. About three weeks later, I opened my computer and I I had been looking at houses. And all of a sudden, I saw one pop online. I looked at the whole thing and I said, this is it. This is the house. And we called the realtor right away. We put in an offer that day. She accepted it the next morning. Wow. And we moved here without me ever seeing the house once. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Ken likes to say that we, that day we bought a house and a toaster oven on Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. Yeah, you pretty much did. (laughs) But we loved it here. We just think it's an amazing place. And it's been an extremely inspiring experience. I've never written so much and maybe the pandemic has something to do with it I have to stay at home yeah but I'm writing and writing and writing so much and at first I thought well maybe I should have an acupuncture practice here but it's hard to do everything it's really hard to do everything and if I'm to say what is it that I love to do well I love to write and I love the experience of putting something that you've created out into the world that's so personal yeah and also because I engage with helping animals in my books usually I mean not usually all the time there's some aspect of that that means a lot to me so I feel that I'm on track right now for the first time and that's how we moved from Marin to Santa Fe New Mexico that was so amazing I was so I I was shocked because before (laughs) you chose Santa Fe you were talking about somewhere else in California 
we were looking at Grass Valley, That's Nevada it. City. And a lot of Californians were moving there because of the fires in California. People were moving there and people seemed to love it, but it never spoke to me. Yeah. Not like Santa Fe has. And it's just this gut feeling of where it is you're supposed to be. And maybe we would have been okay there, but stressing okay versus amazing. Right. Of course. Yeah. We can always settle. Exactly. But yes. why? Right. <laughs> right. That's right. So I know it's a little unconventional that I've described happening that I actually heard a voice tell me where to go, but that's what happened. I think that's amazing. And, and you know, like you're, you're such an outdoorsy person too. Like you love to hike and... <laughs> well, I like to hike and I like to bike, but hiking is incredible here today. In fact, I said to my husband, there's this trail that's called the rail trail because there is a railroad that doesn't work anymore that you go and it's so beautiful. It is so gorgeous. But today it had snowed and it was just the most beautiful setting. And I said to my husband, this is the best hike I've ever taken on that trail today. And my dog went with me and she loves the snow. So she was just bounding through it. And it was amazing. And yesterday I saw Bobcat outside of our, outside my window, my bedroom. Wow. And you see coyotes. So there is this deep connection to nature here. I had it in Marin, but not quite to this degree. Right. It's, It's something else. Maybe it's because it's just a little more of the earth here. Mm-hmm. You look at all the houses, they're all adobe. They look like an right. adobe look, that color. And so I really, really enjoy it. So yeah, I do that and I do Zumba. Oh, Zumba. Cute. That's cute. And and so do you, do you don't miss the ocean and how's the snow when you've never lived in snow? Good question. This is a historical <laughs> thing. My husband is from New York. Always hated the snow because of the damp snow sludge here. I'm having to shovel my driveway. Mm -hmm. About a week into the winter when it started to snow, I remember he was standing, looking outside the door and saying, God, I love the snow. (laughs) I thought to myself, who are you? (laughs) What happened to Ken? So I have been somebody who has always lived in California, in Southern California. I grew up near Santa Barbara, Mediterranean, perfect weather. But I love the change of seasons. Yeah. There is the snow in the winter, but it's not the kind of snow from New York, that East Coast damp, sludgy snow. Mm-hmm. This is powdery snow. It's this powdery look that hangs on all the trees and all the juniper trees. So it looks like this amazing postcard. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes you see the sun hitting it in a way that it all starts to sprinkle in all these different colors. It's so beautiful. And when you walk in it, it just it just feels different. It feels really good. Hmm. The key here is to have the right clothing. Yeah. For example, today I was out in 25 degree weather and all I had on was a sweatshirt and a tank top because that's all I needed because we're 7,000 feet high. And so the sun is a little closer, so it gets mm. a little warmer. And I used to hike in Marin County in 40 degree weather and I could not keep warm. Yeah. So it it is different, but I love the seasons. I love how the fall, all the leaves turn on the elm tree or on the, uh, I think they're elm trees. And I love in the summer, there's the monsoons, which is this crazy rain with lightning and thunder, which is really incredible to see. 
And what season am I leaving out? The spring is very windy. <laughs> I like I like the change of seasons. Wow, that's super cool. And you don't miss the ocean? No, oddly. I love the ocean. I love to always see dolphins in the ocean, but I never used to like to get in it. Mm. I used to find it. It was too cold. Mm-hmm. And I used to like to look at it. Mm-hmm. But here we have the skies. The skies are what they call these big skies. And in the summer, you often see these incredible rainbows that go from one end to the other. It's this amazing half circle. You just have incredible clouds here, the formations. So to me, we've substituted the ocean for the skies. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't it's- miss the ocean, but I Ken sometimes talks about it, but I, I really don't. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because people say that like, oh, I'm going to miss the ocean so much. And then I'll be like, well, when's the last time you went to the ocean? (laughs) And they're like, last year, I don't remember. I'm like, yeah. mm -hmm." Well, you know, I live near where you lived. So, you know, it's like 40 minutes to an hour. Well, depends on which way you go. It could be a little bit sooner than that, but I, I can't remember the last time I've been. That is the thing with California traffic. Everything takes so much longer. Yeah. But after COVID is over, I, mean, I have friends in California. My family's in California. My stepchildren are there. We will be back to the ocean. But the last time we went and we had a great time, I remember thinking, and Ken thought the same, I can't wait to get home. I can't wait to get home. Wow. It was the first time we thought, wow, we have a new home. Wow. And, so. oh, that's awesome. So I want to ask you about veganism, and I don't want to alienate people that are not vegans, and so I just want to preface with that I am not a vegan, but I think a lot of people are interested in veganism. So I was uh, hoping you could just talk a little bit about that. Sure. Is there something specific in in that category? <laughs> <laughs> like maybe your journey and and how long you've you've been vegan and how you feel and and why you did it and why you do it and yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I had been a vegetarian for some time, and I always felt that when I say I love animals. I couldn't exclude all the animals we were. I was eating. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. How can I say truthfully that I loved animals and still be eating chicken or turkey or red meat or drink eating cheese? Mm-hmm. So 2011 came around. 2011 was a big year for me, and that came around. And one day I got this email, and and, and it said, "How would you like to run for this contest?" And it was called. The Sexiest Vegetarian Over 50, and Uh, it was a contest sponsored by PETA, People for mm -hmm. the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Mm -hmm. And again, just like the time that I heard the voice say Santa Fe, I heard something in my head say, just do it. And if people know me, I'm not somebody who's running for contests, especially Mm -hmm. beauty contests. (laughs) That's not something anybody would think I would ever do. But something about it told me, If you win this, you might have an opportunity to speak up on behalf of animals in a greater way. And that was the reason I did it. So I wrote the letter to PETA saying, yes, I'll enter. And it was like a 10-page document that I sent them of all the things I had done in the past to help animals and whatnot. I did some videos. And I remember forgetting all about the contest and one day opening my computer and it said I had won. What? 
yeah, I won it. I won the contest. Wow. What I did was it was my first venture into talking to media because there was a whole page in the San Francisco Chronicle about it. I remember when we opened that newspaper and we saw it. What? It was it was amazing. It was I had it was something I had never imagined would happen. But it allowed me to speak up and say my thoughts on on what I believed about animals and about that animals I felt had the right to be here on this planet as much as any of us. And that I know people say, well, it's okay if they're raised humanely, but if I was raised humanely and then slaughtered, I wouldn't exactly think that was a humane life. It didn't make much sense to me. So it allowed me to not only step up on behalf of animals, but also in a healthier way, adapt a new, healthier diet. And thirdly, there is such a large carbon footprint mm-hmm. on with that comes with eating animals. And I was really happy to reduce that. Mm-hmm. So I became a vegan at that time. And in the next few years, I also helped my and my dogs become vegan as well. Mm-hmm. And that was really amazing because I had a dog named Dakota who came down with cancer prior to that. And the vet said to me, this is a cancer that will probably come back after we surgically remove the tumor. So I reached out to a friend of mine who had a great Dane. And I had remembered asking her one day, how old is your dog? And she said, 12. Great Danes generally live to seven because they're so large. Right. And I said, well, what do you do to keep her so beautiful and so healthy? That coat was so shiny. And she said, she's on a plant-based diet. And my friend had also written a book about eating plant-based for for dogs and so I put Dakota on that diet and I went to the vet ahead of time and I said okay we have all our labs seven months later I took her back to the vet and the vet said wow there's no cancer she's great and I said what about the kidney disease you said she had and I remember her looking through her notes saying what kidney disease her numbers were so much lower and my dog lived till she was 16 so she lived a really nice long life cancer-free. So I feel really great about living this life because I know that I'm not hurting animals in some unnecessary way Mm -hmm. or taking their life. And that's important to me, Mm -hmm. especially because of the books that I write, which are really talking about that animal-human bond that Mm -hmm. we have that's so incredible and powerful with our animal friends. So that's been my journey. i continue to adore living that life. I've made a lot of great friends here in Santa Fe who are also vegans and we're part of a similar community. Mm -hmm. And now we're all really great friends and it's really nice to have a family of that nature. So that's been my journey to this point. Thank you for sharing that. I love, I love hearing about it. Actually, I really do. It's, it's inspiring. And what about Grace? Is she Yes, she is. she is. Grace and Ken. Yeah. Everybody's vegan in the house. <laughs> <laughs> and I do watch her to see, because sometimes I think, well, you know, does she need something different? But dogs are omnivores and they yeah. do well, as long as you're feeding them healthy and a variety of nutrients, just like with humans. So I make Grace mostly her food. She eats something I make her that's a combination of beans and a grain and vegetables and then all sorts of extra things like tahini or 
seeds and nuts and you know it depends on what the day is whether you know today's Japanese or tomorrow's Mexican yum <laughs> it's really good I taste it I go oh this is usually what I have yeah I was gonna say can you make my dog food for me to eat yummy yeah it was it was it's good and then I also use as a supplement uh, because sometimes I I don't have enough food I'll use V dog which is mm-hmm. a plant-based kibble yeah. And that's a California brand from Sacramento. So I use that and and Grace is thriving. In fact, Grace was extremely overweight when I got her. She was 66 pounds and the vet said, boy, you better put her on a diet right away. And for she basically lost two pounds a month. And now she weighs and really she's a nice slim 54 pounds. Mm. Oh, that's good. And two pounds a month is good because you don't want them to lose weight too fast. No. Yeah. No, no, you don't want to do that. And yeah. I think it's important too, just like with any diet that you consider what you're putting into the food. Like I said, for me, what's important, I rotate the food yeah. so she doesn't have the same thing every single time. Right. I use different ingredients that will all have different vegetables because as we know, purple, let's mm-hmm. say cabbage is going to have different nutrients as like maybe some kind of spinach or something some other, you know, peas or right. Um, so we're trying to always rotate, right? And making sure that there's appropriate amount of protein that comes from right. beans and other sources, right? And grain and vegetable. I can tell you, she starts drooling even before I put the plate down. See, she that's what like, Jakey does when he likes his food. He starts <laughs> drooling. It's the cutest yeah. thing. So I gave him kiwi today, and oh, yeah, and, like it? oh, well, usually he eats everything. He doesn't care what it is. But he, citrus, he's like a little, mm, he won't eat oranges. But I put the kiwi, because he was begging. So I put the kiwi in front of his face, and he was like, no. So I put it, I rubbed it on his nose, and he licked it. And then he was like, oh, this is delicious. <laughs> and then he ate it. That's great. Yeah, it was really cute. vitamin C and kiwi. I, exactly. But he prefers pears. And right. cauliflower is his number one favorite food on the planet. Hmm. Well, Grace's number one favorite fruit is sweet potato. And every day she smells it because Ken will always make sweet potato. And he shares that sweet potato with her and she loves it. That's cute. When that's really good for them. Very good for them. Yeah. The last thing is talk about the minimalism. Tell us a little bit about what that means to you. Well, when we were living in California, we had a two-story house on maybe half an acre of land and lots of really nice things. (laughs) And when we moved, our house is half the size of what it was. And we couldn't bring many of the things that we had, which was fine. So that was, we halved our life in that way and then continued to because by nature, Ken is really a minimalist, mm. and my parents actually had way too many things in their house. And when I was growing up, and I remember always feeling like I never had enough sunshine, I never had enough space, and I wanted openness. And therefore, we just started just getting rid of everything. And in fact, we have to really go through our garage again and just start moving things out because we feel so much better with less. I believe that less is the new sexy and I feel that every single day. Anytime I can just eliminate anything, let's just say I have a lot of cases for my glasses, I just start getting rid of things. For example, there are subscriptions that we had that none of us were using, so I got rid of those. And 
I was getting things in the mail in multiple boxes of things, and I just started cutting these things out. So I'm very conscious now of having the least amount of things possible because extra kind of bothers me. Mm-hmm. And I, again, I don't like to be one of these people with a huge footprint on this world. I want to leave with the smallest footprint that I can. So that makes me feel really good. And a house is fairly, if people come over, in fact, on the cover of a magazine not too long ago, and I remember the photographer came in to take a picture of Ken and I, because Ken is involved in search and rescue here, and I was involved oh. in rescue and with the with the books and whatnot they thought it would be a good article he came to take the picture and I remember he sat inside looking around to see where he would take the picture and he said you two are really minimal aren't you and when he said that I thought to myself I love that I love that somebody thinks we're minimal yeah because most people have so many extra things in their house so we like to have space we like to have white walls that don't have a lot in it And that's what it looks like to me. And I I imagine eventually we'll have maybe just one car. But I think we're getting as close as we can to the most minimal life that we can have at the moment. Yeah, I love that. And like, you know, how many dog beds do we need? You know what I mean? Like it just, it's on and on and on. It's like, I think I have seven dog beds. I have one dog. Like, what am I doing? (laughs) Yeah, that was the thing when our, our dogs passed away. I took everything, mostly everything, and took it to a shelter. Yeah. Because there are a lot of dogs who could use those, you know, seven dog beds when we have a lot. Grace has two dog beds, and she, in each room, and then she has a dog crate with a bed in it. Mm -hmm. So she's in that. Mm -hmm. But when we go to Portugal, she's going to have to make do with one bed. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If you could tell your 12-year-old self something today that you wish you would have known when you were 12, what would it be? I wish I would have known to be bold, to be bold because the best was yet to come. When I was 12 years old, I didn't think the best was yet to come at all. I thought, here I am stuck in this house with my parents. I don't like this house. I don't like my life. I was always complaining. And what do you know, last year taught me that I had a really amazing life compared to the life I could have had. Yeah. And that so many of my dreams are coming true. And that all I needed to do was to be bold and to believe the best was yet to come. Aw. And then is there anything else you want to tell the people that are listening? Sure. I'm a big believer in going after your dreams. It may seem really confusing at first, because there are a lot of things that we depend on. I know that it's our jobs, our families. We look to others to tell us what to do sometimes. I just want to suggest that people take time for themselves so that they can hear their inner voices, that they can, in the quiet, really things become so much more clear. And I also want to throw in, because I'm a big believer in expressing gratitude, Mm. The more that you can express that gratitude, the more it changes your mindset in a way that leaves the world open to you. And I really have discovered this time and time again. I even ended up writing a couple of journals based on our relationship with our animals that inspire more gratitude in us because I believe that so much and how much it has really helped me. So if I could inspire anyone to 
perhaps be quiet more, to take time for themselves, to express gratitude, and to go after their dreams because this is the only life we know of at the moment. Mm-hmm. This is this is the life. And if not now, then when? Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Thank you. That's helpful. And then where can people find you? I'll put everything in the show notes. But Sure. I would love it if you friended me on Facebook. I have a very active community there, Carlene Montez de Oca. And the same name, Carlene Montes de Oca or Carlene MDO is my Instagram handle, as well as Pinterest, as well as Twitter, as well as LinkedIn, (laughs) all of those fun places. But I would love it if you come to my website, because I also have this really fun quiz. If you're an animal lover, you might enjoy. And it's basically, what can your dog or your cat tell you about you that you don't know? And it's a really fun quiz that you can take and see what your daughter cat knows about you that would be important for you to know. Wow, I didn't even know that. I have to take that quiz. It's a health quiz, so it's the things that they know about your health that you actually don't oh. know. So yeah, come and take it. Cool. And see where you land. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I just want to say that if anybody would love to get my books, which I hope you would, you can either get them at my website, animalhumanhealth.com. Mm -hmm. or amazon.com or anywhere where books are sold are you wide are you on barnes and noble and kobo and apple yes okay good yes through ingram yeah okay (laughs) thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you it was amazing talking to you and i miss you Oh, thank you. I miss you too. And I've really enjoyed our podcast. This was so much fun. And I'm so glad that you have a podcast and you're doing this to really inspire other people. And I'm looking forward to when you hop on that van and you head out towards Santa Fe, New Mexico. Yeah, you know, I'm coming to visit you. (laughs) You know, I am. You're already on my list. That sounds great. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is also highly appreciated. You can find me and more information about AUA on anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes, including links to everything we talked about today. But if you have any questions or just want to say hi, please do reach out to me on Instagram or my website. And my Instagram is also anunknownadventure. Your adventure awaits, and I'll be looking for you on your personal road of dreams.